Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 131 of the podcast, and today I'm joined by my good mate Andy Hare. Now, today's episode's a little bit different, guys. Uh, for those who know Andy, you'll know him as a bubbly, upfront, energetic, super duper role model, and one that I have looked up to for a long time, and he's really helped me not only with everything I'm doing, but just inspire me to, you know, make a difference. And that's one thing I love about Andy. But um, there's a there's a different side to Andy over the past two or three years uh, of sort of a darker time in his life after being hit by a motorist while he was cycling um, and going through a number of different things that he probably hasn't really spoken about and a lot of people uh, are not aware. They're just aware of the, you know, the outstanding individual teacher full of energy and life. So today Andy's going to be open, honest and raw like we've never heard before and he's going to talk about um, suffering depression, anxiety, going through trauma, not only uh, that he's experienced himself but um, that his family's gone through with him. So guys, this chat today is something that Andy's wanted to do for a while um, and it just took a while for him to be ready and the reason being by sharing his story today, Andy just wants to know that it's okay to be going through these things and that um, if his story can do anything, hopefully it inspires somebody to maybe talk about um, things that they're suffering with or just issues in their life that they may be holding into themselves because um, at the end of the day, that's never going to help anything. The more we can talk about things, support each other and share it with loved ones in our life, um, the quicker we'll be able to get over it. So uh, guys, if there are things that you know, you're going through in your life and you're suffering with, maybe depression, anxiety, trauma or things like that, then um, there are there are things like Lifeline and Beyond Blue. So go and connect with them um, and you know just be aware that we're going to talk about some pretty heavy things in today's episode. But one thing I do want you to know is that um, Andy is a true inspiration and his main message today is that he just wants his story to help at least one person. And I know listening today from what Andy shared, I'm, I'm really proud of him and where he's been able to come from. So guys, this is Andy here like you've never seen before. podcast everybody i am stoked i've got not only a really close friend but somebody i've worked a lot with over the last couple of years andy here how are you legend hey man how are you i love that you put hashtag stoked there well you didn't put the hashtag behind it but that's my daily instagram is a hashtag stoked <laughs> now i love that mate now before we start and we're going to get into some pretty open honest raw sort of chat today that maybe well i know people haven't heard from you before mate but i just wanted to publicly say that um over the years i just wanted to do a little bit of appreciation mate that um i remember when i was starting out and this would have been about five years ago now when i got on twitter and um i'm like wow this guy in geelong which isn't far from me in victoria we're only about uh, in melbourne we're only about an hour away but it took me so long to meet you, but your energy, passion, and everything you were doing has been uh, such an inspiration for me. And I know last year we had the fortune of, of working together and presenting together, and um, I still hold that very highly. So um, for you to come back on the podcast today, mate, because I know we did, and this is, I don't know if you remember this, the most random thing ever, the carpool karaoke on the way to a workshop. Yeah. If you go onto YouTube and you can go on my YouTube channel and watch that, it's pretty random, but um, we're going to dive into a little bit more. So, mate, I just wanted to say I appreciate you as a friend and not only that for the inspiration you've been to me oh no thank you man i love you and 
I um I was only looking at literally like five minutes ago. I was scrolling through my Twitter pictures, and um, I came across our first meeting. It was the fourth of August, yep, two thousand seventeen, at the cafe of the Woodhouse in Belmont High Street, Belmont. There very, you go. Very good, and um, a shout out to Zoe and Ando who own that cafe. If they're listening, they're probably <laughs> not, but <laughs> yeah. I think I was a hot chocolate boy back then, but now pure piccolos. Mate, you uh, see a little bit of milk? Is that the go? You're not... Uh... Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Nice, it's a taste. I love that. I love that. Now, um, obviously, everyone will know you, Andy. You are like a leading world PE teacher. You've travelled the world. You, I, I don't know how many countries you presented in. You're probably more famous in America than you are Australia. Uh, would that be probably yeah. fair to say? <laughs> I think that is 100% fair to say. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. And and you can tell, I know, by your passion, your energy and everything, mate, it is insane and it's infectious. So you were also big into, obviously, fitness, uh, triathlons, running, swimming, riding, everything like that. Now, um, we're going to talk about something today that – now, we're going to do this – was it about six months ago we sat down and we – and you just weren't ready to share – yeah, absolutely, and and it was probably the back end of um, where I was, and and um, and we we won't spoil it just just yet. But I was going through a lot of personal trauma, trauma, and uh, it just came to the point where anxiety and stress just stopped me and said, "No, not ready. Yeah. Um, not ready. I've got to wait." Yeah, you know, I think uh, I just wanted to start with that because I think it's a really powerful message that I know there's a lot of. There's a lot of evidence out there we need to talk and we need to share, but it's got to be at the right time. So um, I'm really excited for today. Um, I know it's going to get a little bit serious. So, um, guys, this episode, we're going to talk about a, a lot of different things, depression and so forth like that. So if something like that is in your life and um, it may be a little bit heavy for you at the moment, this might be an episode that uh, you don't listen to at the moment, you might come back to, or you may need to go and seek help elsewhere um, with the helplines and things like that. So just warning you now, um, but it is going to be very beneficial because a great man is going to be open and honest. And that's what I've called today. So Andy, when I met you uh, at the Woodhouse, uh, when we had your hot chocolate night of coffee, um, I, I distinctly remembered uh, like a scar on your eye and, and I didn't know much about it. And um, I, that was, that was sort of the, where it all started. Was that sort of correct? Mm. Yeah. And, and it's probably the, it's probably the start conversation for everyone, um, you know, kids and adults. So if we if we double back, let's let's start rather than dancing around it and um and you know I'm getting all goosebumps yeah. feeling about it already. The emotions coming, but um, you know I, I grew up as um, a child with ADHD. Um, that's no surprise to anyone. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I often tell this, this same story to my wife and to my kids, and they only found out about um, these stories in the last couple of years, but my favourite pastime was sneaking in. I grew up in the country, um, and it was sneaking into a, a large shed um, that was about three kilometres walk from my house because I knew they had a sailing boat, and I was the pirate um, of the, the little town that had 200 people in it, so I'd sneak under the shed and, and play pirates all day. Um, and, you know, there's a, a tree to climb or a train track to, to um, you know, walk on or, you know, a, a long ride to ride, I, I'd be doing it. And, and, you know, as a kid in the 80s, you know, it was, it was not seen as ADHD. It was, it was seen as, you know, poor behaviour. Um, you know, I, I often would rem- remember, and this is a, a great example, I had a mate that lived 5K down the road, but to get to his house, we had to walk the train track. 
Um, and there was a, a river we had to cross over. So, you know, both of us would put our heads to the uh, train line to see if there was a train coming, <laughs> and then, then we'd bolt. But there was, no, um, there was no filling between the sleepers. So you had to make sure that you ran as quick as you can, but on top of the sleepers. And, and I loved it. It was, you know, the thing that just drove me bananas because, um, you know, it was a race against a train that possibly would come around a corner. And when you're a kid, you, um, you actually desire, your desire is that fantasy land and, and it is, there's a train coming around the corner. I've got to beat this train. If I don't get across this bridge, I'm gone. Or if I slip, I'm like Indiana Jones and I'm going to have to wrap my arm around the edge of the train track and, and fight so to climb up this train track because this train's going to run me over. But, yeah, I haven't been run over yet. <laughs> um, I think that the funniest thing about growing up in the country is you just get away with that. Mum and Dad go to work and, and you're just left to um, your own devices. And I remember um, this, <laughs> this one day... I was in the in this paddock. I was just crossing this paddock, and I realised why nothing else was there. It was because it was home to a bull. Um, <laughs> so, so, like, literally, that was the day that I um that I knew. I'm just, I'm in a school, but uh, yeah. You can <laughs> That's all right, mate. Keep going on. It's um you know that was the day I knew I could run fast like Forrest Gump because the the bull started to come and I had to run <laughs> and get out there. Um, but growing up with that ADHD was uh, the best thing in my, in my life. And I often say to people, the best thing about having ADHD as a kid is that now I have it in my 40s. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I thrive on that. So I took up, uh, when I was 18 years of age, the sport of Ironman triathlon. Um, everything about it just drove me bananas. I would, I would run out in the country and every run I did was against the elite athletes and and those elite athletes in the last K, um, when I was running, you know, I was running 320s, 310s. In that last K, that, that heart rate would go through the roof and those K markers were coming down to under three-minute Ks because I was racing the best in the world um, in my head. And it drove me absolutely bananas to take up the sport of triathlon. Um, and, you know, as a kid, I, I learned to run. I learned to run really, really well. And so I was offered a scholarship at the University of Hawaii for the track uh, as a 10k runner and um and i never really got there i had a few injuries and um and away you go from there but i pursued the triathlon through my entire life and, and that that really gave me a sense of stability because i was always working towards something and and triathlon isn't any easy feat you can do a sprint triathlon and get away with five hours training but i chose to do Ironman training, um, which is um, crazy in itself, but it's, it's let's say, between 10 and 25 hours over a training period a week on top of work. And um, it, it was everything that I thought about. Um, you know, I'd sneak into lecture theatres at university and just watch the Hawaii Ironman and, and just knew that race inside out. And never, I've never been, um, but I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, one day I'll get there. Um and it led through. I mean, we all we all get busy in life. We we start work. I had uh, got married when I was really young. Had kids when I was really young, and uh, and this was you know it's fantastic. I, I I honestly thought that the day I die will be the day that I do a triathlon, and um, and I'll just cross that finish line, and it'll be the holy grail of an Ironman. Um, and I I always felt that I've done everything I've wanted to do, and. You know, it's that happiness and the essence of life that allows you to do anything you like. And for those around us that train and do endurance training, once you've the, um, 
the cardiovascular system is full of the endurance uh, and red blood cells, anything can be done. Um, you know, your productivity goes through the roof, your energy and your compassion and your empathy and your love for your family and time with your family. You know, you talk about 25 hours a week of training, your intensity with everything is unbelievable because you've got so much oxygen in your body. Um, and I think that's what drove me drove me bananas that gave me so much energy because, like, you know, teaching physical education for 20-plus years, I, I've had to um, really find that, um, you know, I guess my secret to life is I'm not 44, I'm 12. Um, you know, every day I go to work with kids, so every day I have a mindset like a kid. And that's the way I approach everything, and, and that has really bolstered and boosted everything. Um, now that's a very long introduction to that. No, no, not not at all, mate. So you like you like yes. Peter Pan. Um, now one of the one of the things that I I get there, and and I and I really think because your mind goes so fast, particularly with ADHD. Now I don't think I've people reckon I've got. It. I've never been diagnosed, but um, for you, running and training is that is that sort of your mindfulness sort of time where you just zone out, and that's when your mind sort of stops. Um. You know what? It's my processing time. Okay. So if, if I've ever been troubled, stressed, um, you know, really down in life, I found that exercise was the biggest cure. Um, if I started to move, then my brain started to clear. Uh, if I was stressed um, at work, you know, I'd often get home or I'd have to sneak a pair of shoes in the car and go for a run on the way home because I knew that it would clear my mind and I'd yep. feel so much better. Um, and putting it down to and actually doing some work with Mike Cooksala um, over in Philadelphia for a Philadelphia sandwich, um, <laughs> what I've sort of talked about, <laughs> what I've sort of said uh, and with Mike as well is that it's the, the ability to move really, really re-oxygenates the system, but it creates the endorphins, the happy emotions, because everything sort of processes and filtrates through it. Um, it, it was my form of meditation, um, I would say, not so much the mindfulness. It allowed me to feel the Zen, to feel the, the within power, which, which allowed me to create that external release of, of emotion as well. And I don't think there is ever one training session that I've ever come home grumpy in. You, know, you, you tear a calf, you tear it. Oh, you know, I tore my, my butt cheek a few years back and uh, <laughs> coming down a hill. And all I thought was, right, well, the reason that this is happening to me is that it's giving me a sign that I have to rest because something else is happening um, in my body. I never really took it on board that, oh, damn it, I've torn this or I've hurt that. And, um, you know, there's a reason why I was chosen to have that injury. And, um, and it probably leads us to, to where, you know, we, we were. And if I describe my 2014-2015 year, it's probably... Those two years were the best years of my entire life, um, work-wise. And why? And sorry, why, why, why was that, mate? What, what, what made them? Because obviously you've been teaching for a long time. You've done some amazing things. What made those like 2014, 15, the best? Uh, I deliberately made sure that my office was full of all my friends from around the world. Um, that you know, I engaged in conversations with like-minded people to be able to fuel my my desire and fuel my energy systems. And I surrounded myself with people that uh, were very, very similar, the positivity. Um, you know, I don't think I made a conscious effort of wiping people that were negative, but I actually fueled that that passion through all the positive energy that, that came. And I didn't really hear the negativity. Like, it, it's all around us, but I didn't hear it. Um, so I was able to work towards what I was, I was hitting. And 
Uh, and I went to Shape Seattle in America, which just blew my mind because all of a sudden all these wonderful people on Twitter became real. Um, <laughs> they're actually real. <laughs> they're actual real people that you've had a conversation with behind a screen or a tweet and all of a sudden they're standing in front of you and, and they're real people. And, and I think the, the great thing is there is that, um, you know, I went from as a 10-year-old with a pen pal in America, so I knew one person, to then joining Twitter. But after 2015... There's a bed in every state that I could have in someone's house, which is, it's just so wonderful because that Twitter has come, made us become friends and it's connected us. Yeah. So that 2014, 2015 year, I sat in my office and, and probably found that I wasn't alone for the very first time because I deliberately put myself out there and I put myself on Twitter and share stuff on Twitter, which I knew that um, people would criticise you on, but it never really concerned me. I was putting it out there because I knew there was one person that was going to help. Yeah. Um, and that gave me the real brave spirit of being respected, but also feeling that uh, what I'm doing in the world is, is bettering a, a person. Not, I didn't really worry about how many people. It was a person. Yeah. And that one person could look at my website or read a tweet and just go, that's what I'm missing. Thank you so much. And um, and that really governed my whole train of thought for, for two years. It was really just looking at how I can better that one person. And, you know, from that, I was, I was so lucky. Um, I, I've been at this school where I'm at. I'm actually back here again, but uh, 15 years um, I was here. And, and I, was, um, I applied for a job at a private school and, and I, I won it um, for the head of PE. And uh, I was, you know, I was stoked because that was, at that time, that was the best thing in my life. I was rewarded for all the hard work I did, um, and I was rewarded for a leadership position in an elite private school, which um, which I really relished that um, that stage in my in my career. Um, and you know, moving forward with with all that as well, it, it then became evident that there was a lot of work to be done where I was because where I saw education was not where education was moving forward. And at that time, I didn't really recognise it. But in hindsight, if I went back into that time again, I would have sat and observed for a lot longer rather than went in to try and implement um, straight away. Strategy. Yeah, and yeah. and isn't hindsight a wonderful thing, mate? Like, isn't that great if we could go back and um, Harry Potter wand out and go back? But yes, yeah, it's, it's always funny when people say that. You know, if it was a coffee, it would be delicious. I'll order one hindsight, please. <laughs> oh, mate, I reckon if you could uh, roast those beans, uh, mate, you would be onto something great. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so um, so that brought me up to sort of the end of 2015, start of 2016, um, which was, uh, yeah, 2016 changed my life. Um, Oh, look, yeah, there's probably no easy way to say this. So um, 2015, I, um, I was racing triathlons. I, I'd done um, three half Ironmans for the summer and uh, I had finished off the season really, really well in, in April. And, um, you know, as you do, you, you contemplate what the season looked like and what comes next. And, um, and what come next, if I, if I knew what was before me, I would have never got out of bed that day. Uh, we talk about the hindsight yeah. again. Yeah. So, um, you know, and for yourself, you know a little bit. Um, and today I'm going to sort of open up and share a, a, a fair bit. And yeah. uh, it was um, mid-April, I, I think it was the 16th of April, 2016. And um, 
I was uh, cycling with a friend, just a recovery ride, which, again, he needed to shake out some lactic acid in his legs. And it was a day that I wasn't meant to ride. It was a rest day. And um, we were about five minutes from home um, and coming through a roundabout and a car didn't stop. Um, and the car hit me at around about 70 kilometres per hour. Um, it, 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 uh, the last thing I remember was that the front of the car... Um, was an Audi. Um, I don't remember the, the impact, but the impact was enough to, to knock me out um, completely for around about 45 minutes. Um, flat on my back. And when I came to, um, you know, all I remember was that I worked at Leopold Primary School. That was, um, that was the one thing you remember? Yeah, five, five months before. Because um, wow. I, I had left, I'd left the school. Uh, and... The, the injuries that I got out of it were quite substantial and I really didn't connect with them um, until about two years later. So I damaged my... Um, I fractured my skull. Um, uh, I hit my front uh, left frontal lobe. Um, I destroyed that and I tore the, um, the eyelid off my left uh, eye. Um, I fractured uh, my right hand and my right ring finger. Um, I... Damaged both my shoulders uh, quite substantially. Um, and as a result of medication, but down the track, I ended up with a um, uh, dying liver. Um, from, which was, from the uh, medication that they gave you? Yeah. Wow. The, um, the, the worst part was, you know, the initial steps forward was it uh, was apparent that I had severe amnesia. Um, I have no memory of the accident. I have no memory of the, uh, that year uh, leading up to the accident. And I have very, very sketchy memory for about six to eight month, uh, eight weeks after the accident. And um, <clears throat> what I what I know now out of all of that was that, um, you know, you think, you think you're okay, um, but your headspace is completely different. And my... Um, yeah, it, it's such a weird one, Dale. I, I look at that and I still think back now and I, I see it in pictures. Um, yep. It was like a movie. And what sort of became apparent for my wife um, who was caring for me was, one, I was very irrational. So I had damaged my brain. Um, I had absolutely mucked it up. Um, so it was like the doctors describe it as like a bowl of jello that is shaken really, really hard and then it's left, left to reset. Um, and I remember going to the doctor, and um, the doctor said to me, look, uh, you're going to be sick for at least three years. Um, and I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. I've only been sick for like three days ever. Um, what do you mean I'm going to be sick for three years? And he said, well, you, you, you've really damaged your brain. Um, and at that time, again, I didn't really connect. I, I had to live you know, through to realise what the, the lasting effects of everything. And um, what, uh, what sort of occurred is that when I had been hit by the car, um, my, my frontal lobe had taken the full brunt of the impact. And um, the car had hit my pedal from the, in an upstroke. So as a downstroke, uh, I would have really damaged my, my left leg or, or lost my left leg. Um, but my helmet saved my life. And 
I looked back that day and I still got that helmet. I didn't throw it away. It's That's cool. Somewhere. Um, but I had a choice that morning um, to wear a different helmet. And I, I grabbed that helmet to put on. And because I'd ridden it the day before, I think, the helmet was wet from sweat. It hadn't dried. So I've gone, eh, I don't want a wet helmet. That helmet was three inches um, shorter in the frontal lobe. Wow. Um, yeah. So this one that I had on was my winter helmet. It comes down to my eyebrows. Um, so the the outcome was that if I had worn my, my other helmet, um, that I'd, I'd most likely be dead um, through that because the, the impact of the, the ground. Um, so I was thrown about 12 to 15 metres um, through the air and then, yeah, had the full impact of my face on the ground. So I looked like a Terminator um, with all the skin off the forehead, the, um, the dint in the forehead and, uh, and the, the torn up eye with all the skin then off uh, um, below my face as well. Um, and, yeah, that was enough to really probably scare the most, most of the kids, let alone the cats and the dogs out of the street. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the the weeks leading up to it was, um, was something out of this world. It was impulsive. It was anger. Um, it was emotional. Um, and my wife picked it up with the fact that uh, when she'd come home each day, because uh, she had, was still going to work after a little while, um, I'd tell her about this most amazing movie I'd ever seen. And the movie was growing up too. Um, and I said to her, I watched this amazing movie today. It was so funny had Adam Sandler in it and they, they were all back and they sort of had this massive beach party of this um, this town party in his backyard um, and then she got go to work the next day she'd come home and I'd go what's this most amazing movie oh, today it was all wow. about Adam Sandler so this went on for about three weeks how um, did uh, sorry how, how did that obviously how does that affecting not only your wife your relationship there but then your kids seeing you as well mate like was yeah. like yeah, initially it was shock and horror. Uh, yeah. Dad's falling off his bike and, you know, it's the emotions of that. But both my kids then started, uh, over the course of a couple of years, um, anxiety and depression. Okay. Um, yep. My wife had uh, anxiety and depression and we, we had a catalyst of that last year, which we, we were able to deal with. But this is all byproducts of... Um, of trauma. And, you know, where I was living in, in a solo space to try and gain some perspective and control over over me, uh, what I found is that I then developed selfish traits and it was all about me um, because I was sick. I needed rest. I needed the music down. I needed this. I needed that. Um, and what I really found is that the pressure then on the family was that every time I was sick, it was a reminder of that accident. Mm. Um Two of the other injuries I suffered was I suffered damage to my vision um, at, at the initial point, which they resolved themselves to a certain point, but um, the vision itself became, I was overstimulated, so the darkest of the rooms became super bright. Um, in the early days, like outside, I could not go outside without sunglasses, um, and I had to go into shopping centres with sunglasses on as well because was, everything was too bright, but... The, my retinas were playing, now I know, but my, my retinas were playing prob, um, tricks on me as they were repairing. Um, I was seeing shadows. So I was uh, I was talking to people, um, believing they were ghosts. And wow. you know, so I'd be sitting on the couch um, because one of the other head injuries issues was insomnia. So 
for about um, 18 months. You know, I don't sleep. I get up in the middle of the night and stay up all night. And um, so I would be sitting on the couch and I'd be talking to these people that would be sitting next to me um, because I believed that they were spirits and ghosts that were, would exist. And when we got a diagnosis on it of it, they said that the, um, the retinas repairing themselves are casting shadows um, and those shadows will actually move. So where your, your brain then kicks in, your brain tells you what it is, so, so you believe what it is. But it's the, the shadows of the retinas changing colours are changing all of that. And initially it scared the shit out of me. Like, I, I, was, uh, you know, I was spooked everywhere, everywhere I went. I'd see these, um, these motions. And, you know, I seriously thought that this hit, hit on the head turned me into a, uh, um, you know, I'm not even sure what to call them. But so, Scooby, Scooby-Doo, mate. They're, they're fighting ghosts. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Um, but the other one was that uh, I had damaged the, um, because of the impact of the road, I had damaged my eardrums um, and the, 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 um, the brains that look after the audio processing. So this was what really spooked me, is that uh, I could hear everything. Um, I could sit in a cafe and I could listen to every single person's conversation wow. um, and, and the kitchen staff. And so if you think about that, Trying to focus on something that's right in front of you. Um, it's impossible. And, you know, I'm, I'm just like, I can't do this. Like, yeah. you, know, you know, this lady over here is cheating on her husband or <laughs> you know, over here this person, this little kid's doing this in their house. My wife's gone, what are you talking about? I said, I'm telling you what these people are having. So it really sparked a, a real mystery. And, um, and what I found is that instantly... Um, it brought on nauseousness. So that it was the white noise behind. You walk down the street, you drive a car, you go into a shopping centre, um, you step into a school, you hear everything, and it was overstimulus into the brain. So straight away the brain goes, overstimuli, shut you down. So migraine to the head, and the only way to get rid of it was um, uh, to sleep. So that um, has not healed and will never heal. Um, so I, I have to wear musician earplugs uh, pretty much everywhere I go. Uh, where there's multiple noises, um, which allow it, it brings the decibels down by about uh, 15 decibels. So it allows for me to exist in, say, a shopping centre or even teaching, um, where I can hear what's right in front of me, but everything else is just a hum, which has its down pitfalls as well because teaching kids, um, oh, yeah, yeah, and PE, like with all of that stuff. But um, the the greatest thing that came out of that, and I'll talk about this and we can jump on this later again, is that um, two years later, I worked out that having an audio uh, issue with my ears and having to wear earplugs then to soften stuff made me feel the beat in music, uh, which I've never felt before in rhythm. So I actually felt that through the floor. Um, just, I, I guess, like people with hearing issues, they feel it a different way. And so I was feeling the, the speakers and the, the beat through the floor and I became a dance instructor with Melanie Levenberg um, yep. in SLA, Canada. So um, that would never have happened if the accident didn't happen. So, so that's, that's a positive. I know, I know there's a lot that has come out. We're going to talk about that, you know, it was very hard. But, you know, there are always positives, aren't there? I think that's a good message, people listening, that 
you know, hard times, but if you get through it, which you can get through with good support like you've had, then you've actually got another skill now, and I know how much you love dancing now, that you would have never loved. 2014, 15, when you're loving life, I bet you weren't dancing. No, nah, wasn't dancing at all. Yep. Um, go, to a, go to a wedding, wouldn't dance. Yep. Um, now, you know, I'll dance every time there's music on, uh, which is unreal. But I think the, the look at it, and Sean DeMorton summed this up, he said, I bet you blame that driver for everything. I said, dude, I blame the driver for everything. Like, yeah. you know, I would never be in the best part of my entire life right now if that driver hadn't decided to not to stop at the roundabout. Like, I would never be where I am right now if I hadn't been in that accident because I'll confidently say that in 2015, on April the 15th, I'm sorry, 2016, April 15th, I was 100% a different person. Yeah. Um, you know, two years, two, almost three years down the track, you know, I am such a, such a best version of myself that I possibly could be. Yeah. Um, and so that is a really cool thing that, you know, you, you think about the trauma you go through. I'd love to find that kid's hand and shake it and say thank you. Um, so have you, have, you ever, have you ever spoken to the driver? No, I thought about it, but, um, you know, I, I thought, well, what's, you know... What are you going to achieve? Yeah, what am I going to achieve? Yeah. I, Yes, I was trying to seek clarity because I had no idea what, what had happened. And I, had, I was riding with a good friend uh, at the time and um, he was with me and, and he, um, he saw the whole thing, but he doesn't talk a lot. So we, I've only been able to drip out exactly what happened. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty down and, and positive now with it all and got everything I needed out of it. But... Um, the, the long-lasting effect, so we if we jump back, and I mean, I, I looked at um, everything that sort of happens to your body. Well, your body repairs itself. You know, the body is one of the greatest mechanisms in the entire Earth. The greatest. That, yeah. When, when something happens to you, you think, shit, this is, this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me. But with time, things repair itself. And so I've been left with um, some permanent injuries, which, you know, I'm... It is what it is. You know, I'm neither happy nor nor sad about it anymore. It it drove me um it drove me pretty bad. Um, and if we start with I guess the uh, the psychological, so I now suffer from chronic depression um, uh, and huge anxiety. So anything that comes from my left, whether it's someone walking, a ball thrown, uh, a push bike, a car, or anything like that, um, that'll bring on the heart rate, pop it straight up because. I can't control it. Sitting in a passenger side of a car, um, I find very, very difficult because I was hit from that side. So ah. the peripheral, everything from that side. If I'm driving a car, totally okay because I'm in control. Um, and when you flip to America, this is the really interesting part. In America, um, I was hit from the left and I thought, oh, how am I going to do this? You know, I need to drive down to San Diego or drive up to... Um, uh, San Luis Obispo, but all the traffic comes from the other way. Yeah. Um, so, so it would it reversed itself, and I found that if I was a passenger in America, I had no problems at all because the right peripheral didn't didn't worry, and there was nothing coming from the left, um, which was unreal. So yeah, thank you America. But, uh, <laughs> um, that chronic depression anxiety is something that I'll probably have for a long period of time, and the depression is one where um, it, it's the hardest injury I've had to deal with. And um, I've loved 
I've loved my you know my wife and my family, but at the same time there are times that I've I've wanted to not be near them. Um, just through going through that personal, emotional, personal struggles, and um, the hardest point with depression was, if I can remember back, it was about six months after my accident, um, and I was so sick from my liver. Uh, my liver had shut down, um, and I was rece- receiving treatment for it. But um, my my liver and your liver helps process lactic acid and toxins out of your body. And, um, my liver had decided to shut down and, and um, your safe liver count before they say, oh, look, there's something up here is 45. So I'm not sure what it's 45 stands for. But 45, if you measure 45 in your blood counts, they go, you've got something attacking your liver here. Um, <laughs> I couldn't stay awake. And I was like, what is on earth is happening? I could not stay awake. I'd have to, I was going to... Melbourne at eight o'clock in the morning. I have to pull over at half past eight to have a sleep. Um, and what uh, I did a blood test, and, and what they worked out is my liver count was uh, almost um, five hundred times higher than it should be. Wow. Um, so I was completely toxic from the inside. Um, and so with that, um, without medication, there was a period of about two weeks where um, I'd go to bed at night. And just before I'd go to bed, I'd kiss the kids goodnight. And in you know, for me, I'd uh, be saying goodbye. Um, yeah, <laughs> they, those nights were probably the hardest of my life because you know I didn't know whether I was going to wake up in the morning. Um, and I look back now and, and I think about you know you, how excited you. you I get in life and stuff like that, but to to kiss your kids goodnight and and think that you've had a great time with them, um, it's not something that you, people should ever go through. Yeah. And you know, to think that um, that the next morning I didn't know whether I'd be awake or whether I'd be gone. Um, so was that so, Andy? Was that? because of your liver so like that you and not you wanting to end it like you you didn't want to end it no 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 it was because i was so ill yeah i thought i was i was so ill that um that that night was was the end it's not yeah definitely did not feel like suicide uh at all at, at any time um but there were times that that i felt like um you know, the, the end was near. Um, and that's depression, yeah. um, 100% in your head. And and I couldn't find a happy place. Plus, I had a damaged brain. So um, the the damaging the frontal lobe, what it did is it stopped the processing in front of it. And I've just started study on the brain, which is really cool. It's, a, again, a, a positive byproduct of everything. It's, and what I've worked out is through your spinal column, you um, you develop thought, and you, your thought then goes into your midbrain, um, your mid front, your midlobe, and in that midlobe, it creates an emotion that you're going to act on, um, or creates that thought that you're going to act on. So, you know, if I thought straight away, all right, um, I need to buy something, then you don't actually go, is it right or is it wrong? Yeah. You just buy. Um, if I wanted to eat. I just ate. If I wanted to kiss my wife, I just kissed my wife. There was no consideration into anything else. So it was impulse. You thought you did. 
Yeah. Um, so what I found is that through those thoughts where this is it, then there was no sort of, well, hang on a bit. You're only, it's internal. You know, there's the suggestions are you're going to be okay. It was thought this is going to happen. Yeah. So it was trying to process through that, knowing that I was going through that and then keeping it from everyone. Yeah, um, so did you, did you talk to anyone during that two weeks or this was going, you just, this was just all your own thinking. You weren't speaking to anyone. No one. Yeah, no one. So I wasn't processing it at all. Um, I had I had psychologists working with me, but I didn't get along well with them because they were the one in particular that was really helping me with me because I was having to relive the accident all the time. Yeah. Um, and it was trying to set a pattern of life which I didn't have. I didn't have any ability to even rationalise. Uh, for a number of months, let alone sit there and take advice and then go and do it. Uh, as soon as that door closed, I couldn't remember it because yeah. I, I'd have, like, she would talk and write, write stuff down, but the damage on my brain was my left lobe. So the left lobe is your auditory. It's the understanding of written information and what's told to you. I can't, I can't um, remember that stuff. Yeah. So what... What I was happening was I was going out of there just going, what on earth am I doing? Like, seriously, this is driving me nuts. As soon as she says, uh, hi, how's your day? I'm done. I'm checked out. I'm like Homer Simpson watching the bird bop up and down. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's that, you know, there was nothing that she could say that I could retain that information. I, I went to my books and wrote everything down. But, again, you write it down, but I... I did not remember anything I wrote down. I laugh when I look back in my books now. I've written five different books since um, the accident of just everything, and, and it's all my notes. But because I've, I, I wrote them, you know, I don't understand them because I didn't have the ability to write. I, I had no ability to read, so I couldn't read um, two words together. I'd mucked up that part, which was your, your pronunciation. So there was words going everywhere that didn't fit into sentences. Uh, I found that I'd be texting people and it was just Siri just gave me red lines everywhere because I couldn't spell um, that I'd talk to, I'd go to schools and I'd be telling kids the, the wrong things. Um, I would, uh, you know, starting back at Leopold uh, start of last year really scared me because I still didn't have the ability to remember properly. I couldn't remember names, uh, let alone anything else. But what I learned out of that too is that the, the most wonderful thing happened is that I was able to remember pictures and patterns. Um, so anything that was a diagram or I moved and did, I remembered. So okay. I started to move to learn. So if I had to remember something, I would get, I would tap it out. And so that pattern I would remember. And I was a gun going through all the psychological exams. I would be zero out of a hundred for all audio and all um, uh, language type of studies but I was 100 out of 100 for pattern and, and numeracy because I could put a picture in my head. Like yeah. I, I wasn't able to read it, so they'd have to read it to me. But in my head, I was able to see the boys shopping and that the boy bought six, six bags of cereal at $3 each, so it had to equal $18. And so in my head, I'm like, yes, that everything else was just shot. So I then learned to become a visual student a visual student, which aided me so much because my son is autistic um, and he's a visual learner as well. And I learned so much about that uh, autism, but also about the visual learners in my classroom. And you and I as well have spoken about this, that 100% of the time, 
is we develop a movement pattern around something that sticks um, right then, right in the nutshell, yeah. it, 100%. It sticks all the time. So moving towards that, that became the first thing I remember, which I was able to go, I'm back. Okay. I'm back, and this is good. So everything I did, I started to read picture storybooks. My wife, it was like I was in prep again. My wife sat me down each night and I had to read to her. Um, wow. And just to develop that comprehension. So how, so, sorry, how, how long after the accident were you at this process? So um, obviously all the things you mentioned, the trauma, the depression, anxiety, um, and I know your wife become a full-time carer. How, how long into that was it that you were able to actually even read, like as a prep level, a, a picture book? Um, the prep level probably came on about four months, okay. I think, afterwards. Yep. And, and for all our listeners out there, I kept this a secret from everyone because for me, I believed I was still connecting to where I was in 2000, 2000 2014, 15. So my only memory was where I was. Okay. And yep. it was what people expected of Andy Hare. Yeah. Um, and I had to disconnect from that. I had to go right. What does Andy Hare want out of Andy Hare? But I had no ability to process that. It was, this is what Andy Hare does, because that was my last memory. Yeah. So it, it blew me up. How, hard, just, how, hard, how hard was that, mate? Like to, like, oh, the, mem- the memory you've got isn't reality, and then you try and do it and you can't do it. Oh, God. You know, I went from one of the best multitaskers I know, and me being the only one I know. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I could put 10 things down on a desk and nail every single one of them at the same time, um, and it would come out crystal clear to not being able to nail one. Yeah. Um, and that was the hardest thing. You know, I, my wife would uh, say, you know, part of this recovery was, hey, Andy, look, can you put the rubbish out? Um, she'd come back three hours later, rubbish was still there. Um, because... By the time she had told me, and then me getting up to do it, I'd forgotten um, because something wow. else replaced that yeah. replaced that um, order. And so it was like a computer was overriding that information all the time. So if she said it, but then something happened on TV, I would remember that last thing, but then something else would go over the top of that. So that was happening a lot, and I had to learn all that again. So that became my books, and so I had to write everything down. And... Everything then, every time it was written down, I'd turn the page on, right, I'd read the day before and I'd go, right, that's where I'm at. So good. So I remember that because now I've got it. But going back to the reading side of things, um, looking at the books first time around, it was like I was dyslexic, so everything would move. Um, It's such an incredible chain of events that happened that it gave me so much appreciation for learning and for life. So all the words and all the numbers would move around and they would, they would just fly, like you see in the movies. It was like, seriously, what's going on here? This yeah. is exactly where it flies. And I could not concentrate on it. So um, my, my great mate, Nathan Weaver, he, he had some great advice for me. He said, I'm going to give you a book I think you're going to love. Um, he said, I want you to read it, but I want you to read it one word at a time. So if you, you can only read one word, I said, I want you to read that word, come back later, read the next word. Um, so you then start to go word by word. Well, I got sentence by sentence, um, and then I got to about paragraph by paragraph, but that's all I could do. It was about a paragraph. So, you know, that was about 30 seconds of continuous reading, um, and that was at about six months mark uh, of that. So that sort of just threw me. My reading at the moment, I can concentrate for about 10 minutes, um, and that's, that's about it. Um, 
So, you know, it, it's, it's on the improve. It'll continue to improve, but it takes training. So you've got to go back to those. Yeah. But even, even, even with this podcast, so we've been going 45 minutes here, mate. Are you, are you sort of, do you forget what you've said or are you able to? Yeah. Yeah, so, no, no, like this is, uh, mate, yeah. this is, I, I didn't know any of this. So for me personally, mm. when we present, like we ran a couple of workshops together last year, how hard was that for you? Because I know um, you hadn't really done a great deal of presenting, but you'd done previous past. How hard was that? Like, I didn't know this at the time. We shared a little bit of your story, but how hard was that yeah. for you, mate? Like, and again, not you don't want to let people down or let on. You know, you're Andy Hare. Um, you're fighting through so many different wars in your head. Yeah, it was. It was. It was the desire to be present but also the knowledge that what we start on the start of the day, I've got all have forgotten. So that's why I've gone to really um, action-based presentations rather than theory-based presentations. So those presentations have to be movement-based because then I can remember that part of it, yeah. um, which is which is you know exactly what you do and, and with that, that whole idea of happiness and wellness to spark that. So, you know, going to conferences is hard, um, Going to Caseford for the first time when this is nine months after my accident and I'd been called um, six months prior by Seth Martin to say, hey, look, we'd love to have you come over. Um, and I went over with Aaron Gardner because then, I, you know, Aaron and I are great mates and yep. we travel well together. But it was I was really sad because I knew that I was going to walk away from that conference and I was going to forget eventually. Um, what what happens is that, um, and what happened back then, and... Um, and why I got so many photos, I got 9,000 photos on my phone just to go back through and remember. Memories, yep. Yeah, exactly. But what was happening was that um, as soon as the conference was done, it was, yes, this is unreal, so many connections, but I was immediately sad because I knew within a week then I would would lose the smells and the feel um, and the sounds around it. Um, That would disappear, and then eventually what would happen is that I would lose the, the gloss of the, the background people that made the conference or the delegates. I would lose their faces to the point where then I would lose faces of people that I didn't really know too well, but I had a lot to do with. And if we didn't make that 100% connection, um, then they became a silhouette. And that was really hard because I knew I'd walk away and within six weeks I would have forgotten pretty much the entire conference. Um, Yeah, so I had to learn um, and I had to really learn not what I was relying on, but I had to learn those new strategies all over again, which became a game and it was a game of patterns and pictures, which really then empowered me. So moving forward and coming back from tape at a second time, um, I'm so wrapped because four weeks on, I can still remember the smells. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Just like far out. If that's all it starts with is the smells, you know, that is the first sense in, in, one, in your body to really go, I've been here before. Um, and walking into that conference, it was, it was the smells and then the sounds that went with it. And Americans are so passionate about everything. And, and knowing that, you know, as soon as if someone said, um, you know, the teachers from Berkeley, you would listen because you knew that people from Berkeley would go, woohoo, uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. So that was really cool. You could then connect with all of that. And, and it was really nice because I had gone to EPW last summer, which I then had the oops, namespaces and where we were. 
um, gave me the connection straight back into EPEW because as soon as I can identify that person, I can place him to where we were. Yep. So someone like Seth Martin, Matt Bassett, Will Potter, um, at the first case that I went to, I can remember exactly the time I spent with them because I've now become really good friends with them. And as soon as I see them, I, I pinpoint those memories back. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so enlightening again. Like you're coming from the the other end of the scale and flipping it back and going, not being able to remember a thing to now then having a memory of bits and pieces for about six months to, to nine months, which is so, you know, it's really empowering. I, I can only imagine a child again um, and going back to that child and when they're remembering something in literature numeracy and, and they come out of it and they go, yes, I've nailed that. I remembered it. Yeah. Um, it's so rewarding. Mate, that's uh, – well, there's so many things just to – I've got so many questions in my head. Um, and I suppose the good thing with you going back to those conferences is you can see the improvement. And I think that's yeah. that's a big thing, mate. Like, you are improving. And um, as you said, you're always going to have depression. You're always going to have anxiety. It's And hopefully it'll get better over time as you deal with it. But um, the big thing I want to just go back to that accident again and, and particularly where – you know, you were in that stage where you didn't know if you're going to leave. You you're having these conversations that you you're writing stuff down. How how did you turn it around, mate? What was? Can you pinpoint anything? Was it support of your family? Was it what? Yeah. What made you come back? Like, because obviously that's like how, how did you do it? Is is there? Because I know people are listening, and I'm sure people go through a lot of stuff and they don't share it. And I know today the reason you want to do this is because people suffer and they don't talk about it. I know you suffered for a while not talking about, it, but how, I'm really interested. How did you turn it around, mate? Because look at you now. Yeah, I know, right? It's yeah, you would you wouldn't know. Like people are blown away when when they hear the story. But um, I'll be a hundred percent up straight front. Uh, when I got the opportunity to go to the EPW camp in San Luis Obispo um, last July, I went there with the notion for two reasons. One, I had the opportunity to have my first keynote, and I was like, yes, finally, this is unreal. It's what I've been working for. I was worried because my wife um, at that time, she knew how bad it was, but she also knew that I was stubborn, um, and I was, <laughs> don't do it anyway. So... You know, I would come home from those conferences and I'd sleep for two or three weeks. Um, and what happened there is that I'd met Melanie Levenberg and her dancing had just empowered me to, to no end. Like, I, I'd gone there not really thinking too much about what was going to happen and the outcomes. I was concentrating on my sessions. But as soon as she danced, I connected to that beat and to the music and I realised that that was what... I, my new skill was because it was the music and it was a beat on the floor which I could follow and I could follow that pattern. So it really empowered me. And I came away from that for the first time thinking, oh, my God, I'm not doing – I'm not trying to find Andy Hair again. I've just gone Andy Hair 2.0. <laughs> um, and I came home from EPEW and I said to my wife, I said, the yeah, best thing's going to happen. I said, I'm going to become a dance instructor. And she looked at me and she's going, what? But you don't dance. I said, I know. Isn't that cool? So what what I did is I, I then enrolled in, because dance, the dance play um, kids instructor is about a three-month course. And so what I, I did almost immediately is I enrolled in the course to become a dance play instructor. And then what I did is I had to learn all these things. So I wasn't going back trying to do what I remember I was doing. I, I had gone off and I'd created a different tangent, so I was going in a totally different way. 
And what I found is that as soon as that music came on, I was happy. As soon as I conquered a dance move that it, and I nailed it, I was happy. You know, when Melanie watched me and I got the timing right, she'd say, you're awesome, well done, keep going and do it a little bit more. I'd go back and I'd go to work and I'd do something new. I'd then dance with the kids in class and I saw it, the way it changed them. So instead of just playing you know, games in PE and doing all that learning, I actually found then that I gave them something new and I allowed them to connect with it. And, and they really then were nurtured through their own love of, of movement as well. So that really set my pathway into a pathway of positivity that I fueled again. Um, at this stage, believe it or not, I got back on the bike. Um, and How hard was that? Oh, it's still hard. Yeah. Um, I, know, I know I spend a lot of time on trails and, on, and gravel roads where there's no cars. But yeah. I got back on there and I got running again. I got swimming again. But I really found that, again, that was that was old Andy, I didn't have the desire and, and the, the movement forward to do Ironman in it anymore because it just was so taxing on uh, a, a body that was was still fairly busted up. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't also, I couldn't concentrate for that long either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd much rather drive and get coffee. Um, but the, the dancing then gave me that empowerment of happiness and it, it gave me to that point that um, I was able to then share that not only with the kids, but I was able to share that love affair with other teachers and teachers would go, this is unbelievable. Like, so I dripped this dancing in everywhere I went and I'd go, wow, this is incredible because you don't, it's not choreographed. You don't need to know the step, the steps evolve as you go along. So when I teach it, you know, I'm teaching them the action and the motion as we're dancing. We're not starting with the kids going, right, this is your first four moves, master that, we'll go on to the next one because that's just too boring. It all connected to fundamental movement skills. Yep. So it created an opportunity for the kids to be physically active for life with physical literacy. Yep. Um, we were able to engage the kids through their sports into different songs, which em emphasised the different movement patterns they needed. So the kids were able to then adapt and be the best versions of themselves, which created a self-identity for the kids but then gave the kids a self-reward. So my, my curriculum totally changed. It, it became very much based around the inquiry model of show me how. Show me your style. You can't get this wrong. Yep. Um, and, and that really gave me the opportunity. And I was looking at my own um, opportunity of physical literacy growth here and going, well, wow, okay, if I can do this dance, then I can teach this dance to this person and together we can dance. Um, and if we both can dance, then we might get two more people in. So the four of us can dance and we can have a great laugh. Yep. And then if we hear the music come on somewhere, we can actually dance together because we know the, the movements and patterns here. Um, I then went on a cruise ship in January, uh, which had dancing in it. And so the first night on the cruise ship, oh, we need someone up on, on the stage. <laughs> to do this. My hand's gone up. I'm like... Yes, me, me, me. So up on the stage, so I'm dancing on the stage of the cruise ship. And, like, I went on the cruise ship thinking, I only want to get on the stage. That's my whole goal. Um, so I did, yeah. I did all the dance classes. Um, I then did, uh, you know, a charity dance. I then did, I got on the stage twice to dance, um, which is so cool. And I'd never have done that nine months ago. So that growth of physical literacy, it gave me a chance to understand and then take that into community to actually be actively involved in something 
grow personal and socially. Yeah. Um, so do you think do you think dance that was that, that like obviously you're playing, having fun, but you found a purpose. And I think is that sort of thing that I know you're very passionate about teaching and things like that. But is dance sort of that one thing now that you find uh, really a lot of purpose and passion in that you now can share that with other people, and that sort of helped everything else grow. Learning that new skill has allowed you to sort of remember other things and grow everywhere else in life. Yeah, absolutely. And it looks that, you know, what I'm able to take out of that is that happiness and wellness and get back to where I was. So rather than feeling down and depressed um, as much, because like the depression is like running in uh, in the Andes. You're up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. Yep. And you're up, you're up. It doesn't matter how good you feel on two days, you know that you've got to run down this other side of the hill and yeah. it's a long journey. You know, I was able to, in my early days, I was able to get out of it in about two days and get up again, and then it started to stick. And I was in those down days for like six weeks at a time. Wow. Um, I just didn't want to get out of bed. So I'm fully medicated. Like, I'll be open about that, that the doctor said, we need to medicate you. And I said, right, let's do it. Um, and what it, what it gives me is stability. So instead of going from nines to twos, Dave, nines to twos... Would you please come to the office now? <laughs> I hope she goes to the office. I I hope they go to the office. Um, But instead of going from nines to twos to fifteens to twos to a twelve to a one, I'm able to go to like ten. This is out of ten, by the way. Like to ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Down to about seven. Okay. Um, And seven, seven is my bottom limit. So what I was able to do is then take that notion and go right. You know, if there's an issue. All I've got to do is be patient because I'm going to come out of this yep. and it's, I've just got to know my body and I've got to realise that today or this week has to be sleeping but I can't get out of bed first thing in the morning. And what I've sort of realised too is that the energy that I expel is going to be somewhere that I have to reserve that later on. So I have to choose. Do I go cycling in the morning for two hours or do I be attentive at night for one hour um, on those days? So... That's made me more, re- you know, aware of sort of what's happening, yeah. um, and you know what's happening, and, and sort of how I've got to function as well. Because there, I now have a um, a fuel limit, and yeah. you know, before I didn't really know my fuel limit. You know, again, you're like I often love, um, you know, when when you teach like uh, really energetic uh, grade two like boys and girls, and and that go 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 go. And then I'm like, I can imagine you at night time, you'd double down your dinner and then you'd be fast asleep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, which is really cool. So taking that passion in, um, another way is really cool. So, you know, again, an, an outcome of that is certainly for my wife and myself where we salsa dance now. And, and actually, I better say not yet because our first class is tonight. Wait, um, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I, uh, that's it. So do you think... Now, sharing that passion with your wife and doing something, because like, I can imagine you don't have to get into this, but I can imagine that uh, your relationship wasn't rosy, like, and you'll probably still have issues going through it, but finding things like this that you can share together and finding that just something different besides get that passion burning again, is that is that sort of as massive? I, um, you know, the cruise ship was one, Um but also, I stopped the announcement on the phone. <laughs> Good mate. Yeah, the, the cruise ship was one, but um, you know, I've been married for 22 years, and I love my wife more today because of what she's done um, than ever before. And 
and finding that passion because we had to spend a lot of time together, um, and good and bad, but yep. she cared for me and she got me out of that. So when when depression finally got her and anxious like that, I had to stop everything. Um, I walked away from from everything that I was doing and I, I just dropped it a lot and I just cared for her. Yeah. Um, and it didn't didn't it did not worry me in the slightest what was coming up and what meeting was coming up. I was like that thing. I've got to do it. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah. You know, that's what is all about and, um, and moving forward, we're now able to be in a place where we can really share all these adventures together. And you know, one of the I think one of the greatest outcomes of it is that um, I'm not allowed to travel overseas by myself just yet. Um, so I know I did last year once, and and it was alright, but it's just very hard to manage. So she has to come with me. Yeah, um, lovely. And, yeah, so we went to California together, and then we're going to the Tea Institute in July together in um, a few months, and. And, and there's nothing better than travelling overseas with your wife. Yeah. Um, it's just so so amazing that I jumped on the, the plane and we, we ended up having three seats for the two of us, so I made her a nice little bed and um, she laid down for 15 hours and, and I just smiled. It was, you know, it's, it's cool fun. Mate, yeah. that's, that's awesome. And I think uh, it's obviously so many lows and you could and I'm, you could really focus on be angry as of that guy for hitting you um, you know be angry of everything that's happened that you've lost your memory you've lost this you've got these injuries but you flipped it around you found a new passion and um, as you said you probably got another lease on life like because realistically if you had to put that other helmet on you wouldn't have been here today so um, you know that's I love that so if anybody out there is suffering or suffering in silence or um, because there's so many different ways to suffer these days. What would be, if you could just give them a bit of advice um, from everything you've gone through, what, what would that be, mate? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, my num- number one advice was would be once you sit up in bed in the morning and you turn your two feet to the side, you feel the carpet yeah. um, and you stand up. And the, the first thing that's going to happen is that you're going to feel how you are for that day. So that makes a choice. If you feel if you feel like you've got a really uh, day, then you move at that pace yep. um, and you take a step and you start moving. Um, if you get out of bed and you go, wow, today's one of those days, that's a day to conquer. Yep. Um, that's a day to set a goal and move forward on it because that allows you then to be able to really get back to where you were and fuel those happy juices and those happy chemicals that, that you can then foster and you can hold on to. Um, for me, again, going to South Pacific in January, was such an, such an amazing, and that's why I sort of harnessed it, because um, the last beach on the last day on the last island, uh, it was windy, it was rainy. Um, we'd been over the other side of the island. They didn't, couldn't allow us to swim because we couldn't get down these stairwells to the water. Um, and we were with a, another guy that we'd met on the ship. He was my, uh, my daughter's age. And, and he said, look, let's go, just go down here and we'll go for a swim. I said, I'm with you, Jaden. Let's go. Uh, and it was really rough. And I thought, well, I'm a good swimmer. I just want to go out, get wet, come back in, and I know I've done it. Went out there and saw a 200-year-old turtle. Um, wow. Just floating around. And I've gone... This is what it's all about. So I then spent the next hour underwater um, swimming with these turtles. And the moment I came up, I actually felt there was nothing that actually stuck to me 
in life and nothing. And I've tried to protect that rural barrier that, that I've, I've found. Um, so in terms of, you know, phones, in terms of um, need and greed and, um, and workload, I've got it all on the outside. Nothing is sticking on the inside because what is in here is what the family needs um, and the family will get all this. Everything on the outside, I can actually shelve that for the time and need. And that really then allows me to take control of that positiveness, the happiness, and also the desire to move forward because, you know, we live in a busy industry where we've, we're self-checking things all the time and um, we're getting that positive feedback, but really that positive feedback has to come within. And I've only been able to get here inside the last four months. And, and it was because I was able to um, have December just to go, right, this is what we're about to do get some closure on, on the accident. Um, you know, at, at my height of rehab, I was in rehab 14 times a week. Um, I'm now in rehab once once or twice a week still yep. for um, the busted up parts of the body. But I can deal with that because I go into there with a real positive attitude in that I'm not getting something treated because of this. I'm going in there to see mates and at the same time the mates are adjusting shoulders and hands and legs yeah. and all of that. Um, so I'm embracing all that and, and looking at all that and really looking at what we move forward in and what we establish because that then allows us to have that control over everything within our life and everything that, um, that sits within the, the boundaries of um, our our existence and our coexistence. Yeah, and mate, so I, it's so powerful, and, and I think it's so unfortunate as well that it normally takes some huge life event. Like I've spoken very openly about hitting rock bottom when I went through my divorce, mm. and I uh, didn't really yeah. know the way out. And obviously, I'm happier than I've ever been now. Um, and the same yeah. with you, you nearly died, mate. Like I was feels a lot worse than mine. But you know, we both suffered in different ways, and now. What we, how do we get people to realise how lucky they are or, or focus on these things, the happiness? Like you said, like, what, what's the secret? Because like, you don't want to just have a near-death experience or have a really bad, poor life or bad decisions to realise that we're very lucky. What, what would you say to people that haven't you know, gone through something like that that, to, I don't know, get the most out of life, mate? You know what? I, I'd go back and... and talk about this a little bit with um, different people is um, as soon as you feel things are starting to go sour, you think to your happiest moment you were as a child. Um, and what, what is that one thing that makes you happy? And I go back to on that pirate ship. Yeah. You know, every, every day of the week, I, I think of how, you know, how unreal my childhood was. You know, there was a, another shed that had a, an old Bonnie and Clyde car in there and I was Bonnie and Clyde, you know. You, yep. you were playing these things and, and that centres me back to um, that that place where I want to be so that, that happiness can be found again and I can fuel from that. Um, it's looking at all of those, those places. I don't write them down. They're my personal memories. Um, I wouldn't be able to explain it. I wouldn't be able to put it into a movie, but... At the same time, when I need and I know I'm tapped out, I'm not getting anything in, I just think of those times and yep. it's enough to put something in the fuel tank that I can actually work on. And, um, you know, at your worst day, and, and for those that are sort of listening, with you, your worst days of depression um, and anxiety, there is something that you can see at home, you can touch, you can feel, you can smell, that you can just go, yeah, all right, 
I'm with that. Even if it's the five seconds in a moment, you can just go, all right, that, yeah, that's made me smile um, a bit. And I think that, um, you know, for, for sharing a story like this, um, I do so in a deliberate notion that I'm now here. And, you know, you're, you're going to share my details. And for those that are trying to connect with that same thing, that I've now shared it and for those people to go, well, I wonder where I am, um, I might reach out and speak to Andy or speak to Dale and, and find out a little bit more about how um, to navigate some pretty tight, muddy situations. Yeah, mate, it's so powerful. And, and mate, just like how raw and honest you've been today, I, like I didn't know the extent of that. I thought I knew most of it, but I didn't know that, mate. And um, I think the biggest thing from your story is that you, you're not doing it. I guess it'll help you to talk about it. And um, there's so much evidence that talking about things today is massive, you know, and we're keeping it, it's got a horrible effect on us. But you've done this because if there's other people out there, you just want to know that you don't suffer in silence, that there are yeah. people that help you. And, and if you don't feel comfortable talking to uh, a shrink or a friend or something, then reach out to it. I'm very happy to talk to her. I know you are as well, mate. And I suppose the big thing is, and we spoke about this off air, that don't let your life get that bad that something bad's going to happen, you know, like, and you don't have to go through a crash or anything like that to be suffering, you know, and it's okay to be suffering. And so yeah. is that your final message, mate? Yeah, look, I think so. And I think that um, there, are, there are crossroads in, in all our lives um, and we can't control them, but we, we certainly can centre ourselves back to uh, a strategy that is going to allow us to, to navigate through it. And there's some really tight situations that we don't think we'll ever get out of. But, uh, you know, as Mike... And I talked about, you know, you have to move. And that is that is the thing. You have to move. If it's, if it's two steps out of your bed, um, you're moving. If it's, you know, about to jump on your paddleboard and hit the ocean, you're moving. Yeah. And, you know, today I've had a tough, tough morning at work. I'm, I'm going to jump on the paddleboard later this afternoon and hit that the water for half an hour. And I'll go home and I'll everything will be off, yeah. um, which is really cool. So... Yeah, for those people that are listening, you know, find your inner 12-year-old um, yeah. and even practice it. Go back, climb that tree, uh, run that train line. Yeah. Um, be a maybe pirate. Not, <laughs> maybe not run that train line. Be a pirate. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's even, even like making a cubby um, yeah. in, in your backyard or your living room, which goes, I remember when I did this, it made me feel really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and don't be afraid to reach out and give someone a cuddle. Like, if you need a cuddle... Go and get a cuddle. Yeah. Uh, someone will give it to you. So, so true, mate. And everything you've just said comes back to play, creativity, and just yeah. doing – because, mate, we're happy when we're kids. We don't have any of these issues. So um, I love that, mate. And, yeah, as I said, I'll have your details on here. And I just want to acknowledge you today for – sharing what you did mate because i know how hard that was for you and, and probably your family as well and hopefully that uh you know that people will take something away from this and um i will in the show notes if you go to energetic uh dot education forward slash podcast uh andy here um i'll have links so you can contact andy uh through twitter um you're very active there again now mate you're uh back on the twin yeah. wagon um also have yeah, email. also put your email address as well if people feel more comfortable doing that mate so um yeah just from me thanks for sharing mate and you are an inspiration and uh i can't wait to see you keep dancing and i hope the salsa goes well tonight, mate. Woohoo! Yeah, so do I. I, I think it's solo salsa tonight. So, yes, 
Got to learn some steps. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, thanks again, buddy. You're a superstar. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for your time and allowing me to uh, get that out and about. I feel so much better. Good on you, mate.